The Mother Project podcast is brought to you by Nana Grants. Child care plus education equals economic mobility. Nana Grants pays for child care so that low-income single mothers can stay in school. Learn more at nanagrants.org. I went to my, funny enough, I went to my primary care physician and said, I'm not feeling right. I went to my midwife um, and said, I'm not feeling right. I went to my doula and said, I'm not feeling right. What I now understand is on the outside, I looked great. Um, All that anxiety burned off all my baby weight. Mm. Uh, My baby was healthy. My house, like I said, was immaculate. So while I was saying I don't feel right, I wasn't telling the whole picture because I carried a lot of shame. This is Erica Stevens with another episode of the Mother Project podcast. Today, my guest is Kate Ferguson. Kate is a counselor who specializes in working with women, in particular around perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. In her private practice, Kate works with women as they navigate life transitions, parenthood, infertility, grief, and learning to understand how those experiences shape identity and purpose as women and mothers. Kate incorporates the idea of myths and archetypes in her work with women. And my gosh, is our culture rife with mommy myths in TV shows, movies, books, commercials, and God help us, social media. I recently played a game with some of my girlfriends during which we tried to name all the mom archetypes we could think of. The Lululemon-wearing, soul-cycling, yummy mummy. The heroic, single young mother waitress raising a child prodigy. The wine-soaked helicopter mom. The stiletto-wearing, butt-kicking career mom. I'm sure you can come up with some fun ones on your own. And if you get stumped, you can just scroll through your Netflix feed. Kate, it is so good to have you here today. I'm especially excited because when we first started talking about the idea of myths and motherhood, I felt like you were hitting on one of the reasons that I started this podcast. The whole idea that there is a right way and a wrong way to be and become a mother and Of course, I'm hoping these conversations that we have with all different types of mothers will challenge those myths and help us to develop new ideas about what motherhood looks like in Western society. It's so good to have you here today. Thanks, Erica. I'm glad to be here. Can we start with you sharing a little bit about your own journey as a mother? Because I know in our previous conversations, it it seems like it's really informed your professional approach and maybe even helped you sort of hone in on what you wanted your specialty, or really it sounds more like a calling to be as a psychotherapist. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'd be happy to. So um, my first child was born uh, 13 years ago. You know, it was a fine pregnancy. Everything went well, you know, fine birth. And after we brought her home, I started to experience a ton of anxiety. Um, What did that look like? Great question. It looked like, um, and not to get too technical, it was anxiety with some some postpartum OCD sprinkled in. So that matters because what it looked like was, you know, making sure she was breathing, uh, you know, going in and like, study studying her um feeling really dysregulated if the house was a wreck yeah um but also sort of a 
uh, racing heartbeat, butterflies, muscle tension. Um, it didn't have a lot of catastrophic thinking, which is often with anxiety, comes with anxiety, uh -huh. and that matters for the rest of the story because I went to my, funny enough, I went to my primary care physician and said, I'm not feeling right. I went to my midwife um, and said, I'm not feeling right. I went to my doula and said, I'm not feeling right. And what I now understand is, you know, I, on the outside, I looked great. Mm. Um, all that anxiety burned off all my baby weight. Mm. Uh, my baby was healthy. My house, like I said, was immaculate. You were living up to the That's right. expectation. Living, yes. And it... And the only questions I got were, do you love your baby? You know, sort of very uh, questions that I now know don't actually capture postpartum depression and anxiety. But um, it took me a really long time to get help. So fortunately, we moved. Um, and in that move, I found a new therapist. Um, and, and she helped me have language for what was going on. Um, and as I told you... I got better so fast wow. that it became, you know, within six months of that happening, I was on a plane to Indiana to do a training in perinatal mood disorders. Um, and shortly after that, I was flying to train with Karen Kleiman, who quite literally has like written every book on, you know, postpartum depression uh -huh. and motherhood and these sorts of things. So um, you're right. It really fuels a lot of the work that I do just raising awareness um, kind of breaking through these myths because also and I know now I'm going on and on but the myths themselves not only pushed on us from culture but we carry them as women and that inhibits our ability to get help so while I was saying I don't feel right I wasn't telling the whole picture because I carried a lot of shame okay so, because society tells us this should be such a a wonderful experience that yes yeah. and also it seems like we're told that it's cute and you know checking on your baby all the time to make sure they're breathing and all that like that's just sort of a cute thing you go through when you're yes. a worried mom yes but we never really address the fact that there's some deep fear behind that deep fear and you know also sleep interruption and um, inability to concentrate on other things and inability to, you know, get back to work or your hobbies or whatever, you know. Um, so, yeah, I love you're pointing that out. Like, it was, it's very dismissed. And that also goes with, you know, always love to, if I can, share this. The number one question I was getting from people or the statement, well, I mean, you love your baby. Do you love your baby? They were checking on attachment. Like, their only idea of a problem postpartum was do you do you feel attached to your baby do you love your baby or not and the vast majority of women love their babies mm -hmm. that is not a good indicator of if they are not doing well <laughs> you know? yeah so okay that eliminates a whole lot of other feelings <laughs> <laughs> how much do you feel like the idea or the myths that you had sort of internalized over a lifetime of being a woman mm -hmm. in our 
culture. Um, how much do you think that played into, like, was your anxiety and OCD tied to that, to your expectations, or did that affect your willingness to talk about it or your ability to ask for help without feeling shame? Yes, that, that's a great question. I think, I want to say, the things you've just outlined I think are very present with women. In my particular case, um, it was really not knowing how to ask for help. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this must be what motherhood is. And you're a professional, yeah, a, a mental that, health that's professional. That's important to say. I was already working yeah. as a psychotherapist in women's issues. Yes. And part of the like advocacy piece that I love and the education piece is that it was not mentioned in my graduate school program, and I, I went through a very good program. Okay, I, I've got to say, I mean, there is nothing more fundamental to human existence than... Reproduction. Reproduction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that, the whole experience of becoming a new mother is was not really part of your training. No. I find that just... To me, that makes such a statement about what, what we... Be- believe and value yeah i mean it's really interesting because um i mean i'm sure if anybody listening has taken a lot of people take a developmental psych class Uh and this idea of the transitions we go through as a mother is not addressed but it's a huge developmental um shift act you know happening in life um and I'll tell you, as I was starting to become trained and really build a community um, in, in this world of, of helpers, I understand that both in medical school and um, graduate schools, their curriculum is so packed mm. that they don't see where this fits. So it's sort of this tension of like helping people understand how crucial it is um, so that they they could talk about it mm-hmm. more. But mm-hmm. that's sort of the feedback that I've heard and, and people have heard is like, we just can't fit anything else because doctors also don't learn about perinatal mood disorders really in med school. So That's fascinating because I'm thinking about, you know, um, all the different types of situations in which a family or an individual might seek out counseling. I mean, even in the context of marriage and relationship counseling if there's a child involved it's very possible that that transition from not being a mother to becoming a mother i mean it affects everything it per- it's pervasive through it doesn't happen in isolation that's right yeah. and actually i love that you're thinking that because that has come up many times in my practice the couples and couples therapy that's where they go first wife is referred to me and then it becomes clear that some of what is in the mix is her own depression, anxiety, identity stuff. You know, when you become a mother, you, everything about you is changed, but it's not recognized in culture. So you can just feel insane and resentful. Yes. And I'm using insane. I love that you use that word though, because but, it's, yeah. Yeah. You feel crazy. Yeah. You, you, am I only one who sees what's going on here? My friendships are changed. My time has changed. My body's changed. My work has changed, you know, my workload is, you know, doubled. Like, what? How am I? How else am I going to feel? Yeah, but resentful. Yeah, it's a perfectly normal response to having your life kind of turned upside down. Absolutely. But if, like, if culture is saying it's such a happy time, and oh, you're such a natural, and oh, blah blah blah, you. Uh, so, to kind of building off your first question, 
that drives women inward mm-hmm. and that drives women to think negatively about themselves. And I do hear that a lot. That's a common thought in the privacy of my office, women crying and either saying, you know, I just hate being a mother or this is the biggest mistake of my life. Mm. And I find it very rewarding to be like, no, actually, you need help transitioning and you maybe are depressed or anxious and it's really common and we can treat this and you can feel better. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when, when I became a mom, I felt like I was on this train that had left the station and I was on it and I was not in the driver's seat. And I had no idea where we were headed. (laughs) You know, it's just this feeling like, oh, okay, so this is what we're doing now. And I'm completely unprepared for this. Um, And I love that you talk about feeling insane or crazy because... You know, one of the when when we first started talking about the idea of myths about motherhood, you shared with me a list of sort of the, like the top hits of you know myths that you have to contend with, and one of them was that there is a perfect way to be a mother. And I look back to say my grandmother's generation or my mother's generation, and it seemed like perfection, happy homemaker sort of model was the ideal. And I feel like now we've gotten into a really interesting place with, um, and you and I were talking about how to put a name to it, like the archetypes, but even caricatures of crazy mom, you know, wine drinking mom, helicopter mom, tiger mom, like we have all of, and, and, but it's not like we're looking at them in deep, you know, thoughtful ways. It's, we're really just sort of making them seem humorous or I don't even, it's hard for me to even put my finger on sometimes why it troubles me. Yeah. Well, there's so, there's so much there. That's such a rich statement. Um, I actually want to go back to talking about like your grandmother and our mothers and today because it fits on these sort of caricatures that you're talking about because if I'm honest, the bar has only, and of course in my opinion, but I think if anyone's you know willing to consider it, the bar has only been raised higher and higher and more unreasonably for women. Uh-huh. So um, you know I've heard it said it's become women can do anything to women must do everything. Yes. And that's part of the caricature too, right? There's these themes of motherhood, you know, Oh, I'm this, I'm a natural mom. I'm a, Oh gosh. You know, right. Like yes. I sleep train. I don't sleep train. I'm a working mom. I'm, you know, and yeah. it's, it's all of that. It's represented in media. Like, you know, just, just scroll through Netflix. Yeah, like every TV Netflix. show has, yeah, like those archetypal moms, moms. Yeah, you know, hot moms. Yes, yes. Um, you know, all of that is in play, and then in a very real way, you know, the messaging we're getting—it's like, get back to work. You know, if you if you work outside the home, get back to work in six weeks. Get back into your skinny jeans in six weeks. Mm. Um, breastfeed for you know three years. Um, you know. I mean, I could go on and on. And be, baby food. and be happy about it and also nurture, continue to nurture your marriage yes. and your friendships and yes. take girls trips, you know. And all the things, all the movies about yeah. like, you know, moms on these girl trips, like, woo, you know. I'm like, Cutting loose mom. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's just hard to do when you have, 
Yeah. It's funny. We're, you know, I focus a lot on, on infants and stuff, but over the years, it's really this sort of mother and working mother piece too of, of women with older children, um, not to kind of go off script, but it's related. Mm -hmm. I thought it'd be easier when they went to school. Yes. I thought it'd be easier when they got older. I thought it would be easier here. And as, as you know, having sort of launched children, they need you a ton differently through their lifespan. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yes. Um, I was just talking with someone yesterday. Um, so she is, uh, in her, late 50s, has a grown son um, who has a dog, her grand dog, and she's struggling through a week of taking care of this grand dog who won't sleep through the night, and she's exhausted, and I said to her, like, a whole book could be written on how to be a parent of adult children and, like, where to draw the line, you know, and it's just a continuation of what are the expectations, obligations, maybe you aren't going to be the type of grandmother who has an open door policy the kids can drop the kids off you know and take maybe that's not your right you know and happy it, place uh, are you a bad person if right. you and I'm, I'm like so eager because it's sort yeah. of, you know that is another caricature and it's like you know talking about you know grandmothers are you like sweet nice everything goes grandmother or are you kind of like a selfish nar- narcissistic bitch you know and that is and if you trail yeah. back it's sort of that's presented to us about motherhood in general yeah. really yeah. In, you know in, in broad strokes are and, you willing to give continue giving of yourself right and yeah. and, if and if you're, you're not limits, then mm. yeah and by the way if you set limits but then it's another sort of catch 22 because it's like moms today are expected to set limits and have discipline and the right amount of discipline Mm -hmm. and I know here's boundaries and all the parenting books are about that but you know heaven forbid you set the wrong boundary or the wrong limit you know it's it's so hard and that is why on the whole I think so much of the work of kind of developing your mother identity is deeply knowing like I am my own person. What works for me won't work for everyone. Every family is different. Um, but it's actually hard to, to in, I think, in our culture to kind of be like, well, this is how our family works. Every family's different. Every mother's different. Mm-hmm. Or every parent's different. Not every family unit you know, has a, a mother in the mix. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Because you're constantly bombarded with messages that fill you with doubt and exhaust you and spin you out and yeah you lose what's best for you yeah and gosh if you if you are mother to a child with special needs or you know any circumstance that deviates from what would be considered the quote norm mm-hmm. that just adds a whole new layer to it so when you're when you're sitting yes. with these moms how do you help them start I mean, to me, just recognizing that they are myths must be liberating. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're still subject to the judgment of your, you know, a lot of moms have friend groups, um, you know, and you get together. And what is the first thing you start talking about? Oftentimes is your, you know, whatever you're dealing with, with your teenagers or potty training or whatever. And there's all this judgment woven into those conversations. Where do you start to unravel this? Yeah, I mean, it's so, it, it's hard. And it's something I try to reassure clients on is it's it's not a one and done thing. You have to keep support. You don't necessarily have to stay in therapy for life, but 
you you have to know your values and what works for your family and have touchstones to bring you back because the wrong dinner, the wrong documentary, right, can mm. unmoor you. But I think it's the inner work of, you know, building confidence around your preferences and the way you mother and then also developing relationships with women who are at least trying to do the same because a lot of that judging is because there is no right or wrong way and so if we can make somebody else's way bad it helps us feel like our way is good oh yeah you know and you know that really needs to come from inside my way is good for me Mm -hmm. their way is good for them just being careful in those settings and then just like it's powerful to name the motherhood myths like oh these are myths normalizing exactly what you're saying for clients like hey when you go to the you know pta gathering you might get a little triggered it might trigger some doubts in you Mm. that's that's not the setting to rethink all of the work and planning and intending that you've done thus far yeah you know but it, it happens too. Like yeah. there, there's no, anyways, there's no setback. It's just more learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it becomes sort of fun to scroll through social media and watch shows on Netflix. And it, once you start recognizing these, it becomes almost like an entertaining, like, you know, spotting the myth, yes. um, which I think has probably become a little tiresome for my husband, for me to be <laughs> pointing out all the time. Like we were watching the Leanne Mar- Moriarty book that was turned into um, a show, um, Little Lies, I think. Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that is just almost such a, almost comical, I, I love it by the way, and I love her books, but almost a comically caricaturized representation of motherhood. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the mom who you know, is like the super hot, hard charging career mom who's just like a bitch on wheels and four inch heels and, you know, and has emasculated her husband. So he's, you know, doing all sorts of nefarious things, you know, and then you've got the earth mother, you know, who's, you know, doing yoga and drinking smoothies all day and weighs 96 pounds and has abs of steel and, you know, (laughs) and is wearing beads and, you know, it's just... And you look at that, and I can't even help but look at it and think, where do I fit into that? Like, you try to identify with things you see, right? And, and like, what, what am I? Like, how do I fit into that? And actually, I don't fit into any of those things. But a little piece of me might be little bits of those yes. archetypes. Yes. I, I like to point this out. Writers exist in culture, so what they create, be it a television writer or a fiction writer or whatever reflects these myths like it reinforces mm-hmm. the myths yeah um, except for those you know who kind of break it down but that's so interesting um the hard charging you know a lot of my clients are anyways working mothers accomplished right? accomplished yes. yes thank you i'm like what's the word i want to say i mean this is what you see in, in on tv and in books exactly what you just detailed that to be super accomplished in the professional world like basically your vagina dries up Mm -hmm. you hate men you're still hetero but you hate men yeah and you know your kids are aloof and in therapy because they're (laughs) totally damaged by that you know oh my gosh but what i see in my office yeah women who are dying trying to be all the things make it to every practice be at every bedtime kick ass at work you know care for their husbands like 
because they're fighting against being that. Yeah. You know, like, I don't want, I mean, I have worked with women who are like, I don't really want the other moms at school to know how much I work. This is a very accomplished woman. Wow. But just kind of trying to. So she feels guilty, obviously. Yeah. Like there's. And what if, what if they, you know, won't interact with me or my child because they think I'm this, you know, this bitch with this yeah. job, you know? I wow. Mean, and, and some of that, I do want to acknowledge, some of that is an inside job of the client, but I just, I just am in touch with the fact that we exist in culture and it's something to be addressed and navigated. Yeah. Yeah. What would you like to see changed? Like if you could wave a magic wand and and this may be totally out of left field and you may never have considered this um, because it is so, you know, imaginary. Mm -hmm. What would you like to see changed about the way we regard motherhood? Actually, I think about that a lot, like vision led. And it's two things. One, in a very sort of practical during pregnancy and postpartum state, I wish that everybody you know at least well in your dream world would be you get to take a class and learn about how vulnerable you are you know for emotional issues etc but the hospital where i gave birth you had to watch two videos before you could go home right and how not to kill your baby accidentally exactly Exactly. and and it would be wonderful if not just the education about perinatal mood disorders but if there was some right out of the box conversation of like hey, here's some common myths that have been researched, you know, um, just name that they're myths, right? Like kind of like starting out, normalizing you've got to find your own way. Um, And then the overall, you know, if I could sort of wipe anything out of consciousness, it would be this underlying idea, because I think it fuels a lot of them, that there's a right and perfect way to be a mother, you know, um, because that is so deeply problematic and inaccurate. And then it fuels, like I said, so much of this pain mm-hmm. that can really take people down and, yeah. and families down, you know? Yeah. Um, so I want to go down a little rabbit hole here Please. because we, uh, this is just a, uh, something I find fascinating right now. Um, the wine drinking mommy culture has really sort of come to an interesting head, I think, where we've got people looking at it and saying, okay, maybe this isn't healthy, especially coming out of the pandemic when we were all locked up at home and, you know, everything was about overdoing it on Netflix, binging and wine (laughs) seemed like a really big part of the experience. But I even sent you, it was a theatrical production and it was this mom, it was like a stereotypical wine soaked mommy. You know, she's got this fish bowl size wine glass full of red wine and she looks totally strung out and drunk and it's funny. And like I watch, you know, TV shows and how they portray women consuming alcohol to medicate their way through parenting. And aside from the fact that if they were actually consuming as much alcohol as you see them consuming, you know, a 120 pound woman, you know, doing shots and then having a bottle of wine, she would probably wind up in the emergency room. But yet somehow she's still able to have a coherent conversation. (laughs) Um, Like that has just become a real thing. And I, I was, when I was thinking about this interview, 
it made me think of the, you know, the pill popping, you know, mommy's little helper sort of, of the, of our grandmother's generation. It's kind of the same. It's kind of a repeat of the same thing, except maybe that was a secret then. And right now it's sort of like our culture and media says, Hey, it's okay to have to drink your way through the motherhood experience. Yes. I love this because I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, couple different things as a as a therapist you know I deal with women every day who they mommy wine culture normalizes the way they're drinking too much and for some of them they can get a hold on it and make make changes and get on the road but for many more and for, and people don't understand this a, a flip gets switched and they can't come back mm-hmm. you know, and they fall into a true you know, substance use disorder, alcohol abuse disorder, alcoholism. And it's very dangerous for for women. Also, in terms of mental health, you know, alcohol pours gasoline on anxiety. It interrupts sleep. It causes depression. So sometimes it's sort of the psych ed conversation of, you know, I can't help you. We can't work together for you not to be depressed if you're depressing yourself with alcohol. Mm-hmm. We can't work together for you to get better sleep if you're drinking at night. Like it does, you know, it doesn't help you to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's super problematic. And then I think another, and I want to be careful. I'm not trying to do any kind of like mother shaming, but I think it's important because this is not what's represented and people don't think about. But for children of mommies who need to drink every day to cope with parenting, it, it does have to be said, it has to be brought into the light, that that also communicates to your children, yeah. I need to drink to cope with you. Yeah. You know? There are actually glasses, like, that have, you know, mommy needs a drink. or yeah, It's like it's become... Like, just funny. Funny. Just fine. It's sort of like smoking. I mean, really, like there's this big marketing push and it's sort of like, oh, this is great and fine. And then I do believe we're going to find out more and more. There's a lot of studies coming out right now, like no amount of drinking is good for you, like that are just going to make us have to really reevaluate our relationship with booze and our culture. And, you know, I'm not, you know, some like prohibitionist. I just think people need to part of my job is telling people like the facts even if they don't want to hear them Mm -hmm. you know and not in an aggressive way because I want them to feel better just like they do so it's sort of shocking how much people don't know how bad alcohol is for them and it's it's worse for women because we have a higher um, we have a harder time um, processing the alcohol it's harder on our livers we have more body fat typically than a man I mean it's bad Uh, uh, it really doesn't bring anything healthy to the party. It doesn't. Right? It doesn't. I mean, yes. I will say to people, like, think of it like dessert. Like, everybody knows <laughs> yes. dessert is like a special treat. You shouldn't, like, eat dessert all day, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and this is if you're, you know, what's sort of in the, the sober culture people call normie. You know, if you're a normie and you can drink and you can adjust and you can want to moderate and moderate, treat it like dessert, especially if you're going through depression, anxiety, you know, especially if you're taking antidepressant. I mean, it's serious when they say, mm-hmm. don't drink on this medication, you know? I mean, that's that's all real. Great. You know, just kind of adjust there. But then it's also really amazing kind of helping 
women come to the understanding that their drinking is out of control and that you know alcoholism in women looks so different you know it's and it's not what does it look like typically well let me start with what it's what it's not you know when people think of alcoholism they think of um you know some honestly like homeless guy in the gutter mm-hmm. um and a life ruined a life ruined and for women who you know have that flip switched over into you know they want to moderate and they can't it can still look like very high bottom as they say still going to work still doing what you need it might be as subtle as like missed bedtimes it might be as subtle as oh i would never drink with my kids in the car and oh i'm just coming home from the pool you know drinking driving with their kids but with very few outer consequences yep but the inner consequences are devastating huge you know and if you don't understand that you are struggling with an addiction that self-hatred can just kick off and then mom feels terrible and then mom drinks against that and is like in that pattern well there's a lot of peer pressure around it too and it's kind of funny to think about peer pressure when you're 49 (laughs) or 38 or whatever um like you think oh I should be beyond that but it really is like adult peer pressure you know when you go to the soccer field and um I mean I'm old enough now I haven't been to a soccer field in quite some time but uh, you know um or you go to the pool parties and everybody's drinking spritzers or uh whatever um it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's a very alkogenic culture. And And you're not such, cool if you don't do it. Exactly. Right? Right. Like <laughs> as such, yeah. you do run up against like if you don't drink, it's like, well, why? You know, there's some story for mm, it. Um, there's something wrong with you, you can't handle it. Right. It's like you've oh, have you lost your drinking privileges versus like making a choice for health. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, if I were to say I don't eat carbs, nobody is going to be like, whoa, yeah. like, you know, you know, can't I, handle the carbs. Can can't you? Yeah. The carbs. <laughs> like, is there, is there a story there? Yeah. Or, you know, or, um, you know, are, are you pregnant because you don't eat carbs? Yeah, you yeah. Know? Whereas if you don't drink, it's really problematic. And if women are already feeling disconnected and isolated in their mother, oh, yeah. it's a huge ask to say, now you've got to remove this and feel even more weird. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, I was helping plan something for one of my children's schools, and it was a you know basically a party, and everyone's doing all the drinks and all the things, and I finally said, should we also have like some water? Like not even cokes or anything like that, but just like what about some water? And literally, like everybody kind of laughed because they didn't think about it. Yeah. But like it's that alcoholic and alcohol infused our life is that here we're a room full of grown men and women not even thinking that we should have like a water offering (laughs) you know a water option yeah um yeah it's interesting and I'll tell you you know I am a sober woman and um when I I felt that a lot and it it is real you know if you're wondering about that it's not in your head you do lose some relationships and Mm. over the years I've realized that the people it's the most problematic for that I personally don't drink maybe have an issue with alcohol and the people who don't they kind of get over the hump and then are like oh okay and keep plugging along but it is 
I feel like I want to normalize it is you I did have to find new social groups and Mm -hmm. find new places that felt fun for me Mm -hmm. and I will say though shout out for sobriety I also learned that a lot of the things I thought were fun um, really weren't that fun aren't that fun yeah I am so with you on that right yeah this is not actually fun and we don't even really like each other yeah you know yes (laughs) which you know you know, go in peace, like not mm-hmm. that there's some hate, sure. there, but it's like we have nothing in common but this Chardonnay. Wow. So, okay. Let's go to this other setting. Anyways. You know, to bring this sort of full circle, so we're, we started out talking about myths, and really, drinking is just yet another aspect of that or behavior that reinforces that. And when you try to change that, you feel a sense of loss maybe, or like you're swimming against the current or how am I going to find my people, my community, my new little besties or friend group or posse or whatever. I mean, it's, it's all about looking at the expectation and figuring out what's good for you and trying to separate yourself from that and looking through it, you know, like really looking at, you know, the expectations around staying at home and, and what do I really care about, you know, stay, being, you know, a, a stay at home mom and making a decision that's right for me and then being prepared to withstand the possible judgment of my coworkers. Oh, I knew you weren't going to come back. You know, when I heard you were pregnant, I knew you weren't going to come. It's like, Hey, yeah, I, you know, I should have asked because I didn't know, you know, Um, and it's the same thing with drinking or any decision that you make as a mother. It seems like everything is very loaded with self-judgment and external judgment. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it may change your your friend group or your social group. And then the interesting thing, too, is you if you're um, if you have a partner, they're also along for that ride, which also makes it very interesting, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it's something to navigate, but I love that tie that you connected because in all of these things, it's sort of discovering your values, your preferences, doing the work to to value them and to have the self-esteem that your preferences matter as much as your partner, your children. Not more than. Mm -hmm. People are going to hear this. They always do. (laughs) More than. Selfish. No. As much as. Equally. You know, as everybody. And then being able to act accordingly. And yes, there is grief for all of these things. Um, We're wired for belonging. We're leaving a sense of belonging. But to not do these things is the path to misery. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm to be yourself and your true and authentic self yes that is what people need um there's a quote i love you know there's no pain like bearing an untold story inside of you kate it is such a pleasure Uh, we could talk for hours and hours and i just love that um and and hopefully we will talk again um, because we have so much ground to cover thank you thank you this was really fun